0: Philippians chapter one. If you're there, let's stand together, please, for the reading of the Word of God. Some folks call it Philippines, but it's Philippians. I probably have called it, called it Philippines myself in the years gone by. The Epistle to Paul, the Apostle to the Philippine to the Philippian Church, chapter one. Let's begin in verse twenty-one. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I mentioned last week, that's the purpose for our life. For to me, or you, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I should, shall choose, I wot not. For I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better, that is, to go to heaven. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you and having this confidence i know that i shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith that in your rejoicing in then your rejoicing may be more abundant in jesus christ for me by coming to you again verse 27 is our text verse today i want to talk to you about striving together only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of christ That whether I come to see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind. Here's the verse, the part of the verse. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Would you repeat these two words with me please? Ready? Striving together. Say it again. Striving together. Over my right hand side, would you say it? Striving together. Middle right. Middle left? Striving together. Left? Striving together. Anybody behind me? <laughs> I'll say it myself. Striving together. Striving together. Several, well, let's have prayer, then I'll give you an illustration. Father, bless the service today and continuation through the preaching. May you speak to my heart and through my heart and help me to say what needs to be said. I need your help today in Jesus' name. Amen. Several weeks ago, we had to move a piano around here. We had some old pianos we had to get rid of, and so we was trying to decide what to do with them. So we decided to take it to a certain place, and, but we needed some volunteers of some men to go down and help move the piano. Now, I probably could have done it by myself. I see no humor in that statement at all. But wait a minute, Paul, where are you at? Where did Paul go to? Is he around? still around. Paul's, the rapture has come, and Paul disappeared. Uh-huh. Anyhow, we've asked for volunteers. We had probably, what, six guys to go down and lift the piano? It's a lot easier to have six guys taking a piano and putting it on a trailer than it is one guy. Now, if I went to move the piano, I would move the bench. That's what I probably picked up because I couldn't pick up much more than that. But having those guys together in one accord to do one thing, striving together to get a piano from off of the floor Onto a truck. It took them working together, and thank God for that. Sometimes we might find some folks that can't do it because they're unable to do it, but sometimes they can come around and just grunt. You know, sometimes we just need some folks to grunt. I've told folks about work days around church, and we're going to have to have one here in just a few days, the Lord willing, and try to get some things caught up. Been an unusual year, and I'll talk more about that in just a few weeks. Been a very unusual last two years in my own life and even around the church. But uh, there's a lot of things we need to get done around the church, and we thank God for those who are able, and sometimes getting schedules worked out is difficult. But we're looking forward to getting, getting together to get some things done. But it just goes a lot smoother when everybody has their place. So I told folks years ago, when I was unable, the last time I helped on a work day, I fell down across the other side of the street, fell in a hole down there, and uh, couldn't hardly walk for a while. I was trying to be there to be a help, but I think I was more of a hindrance than I was a help. I can't do what I had to do, and somebody this week had the audacity to say to my face, preacher, you're getting old. <laughs> so after I slapped him a few times, I got that all squared away. But yeah, I am getting old. He can't do what I used to. But I can come and grunt. I can come and run and get coffee. Amen. I can go to Hardy's and buy Bojangles. <laughs> I can do whatever I need to do. But working together is the whole idea. This thing of striving together in one accord, seeing what God can do in a miraculous way. Preachers glean their sources from various places and various resources in preaching sermons. Charles Spurgeon, the old preacher, said it like this. He says, I milk a lot of cows, but I make my own butter. That's true of preaching. You may get it from a lot of sources and resources, bring it together, but you have a purpose in what you're trying to preach. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, the Bible says. And he says, I want us to strive together to accomplish what needs to be done for the cause of Christ. By faith, we have one life to live. He said, Paul said, I'm getting up in years. I just soon go to believe with the Lord. But he says, until then, I will stay here because it's needful. God can use me here. I'll stay here for a while. And then after a while, I'll go home to be in glory. It wasn't too long after wrote, Paul wrote this sermon or this book to the Philippians, uh, which he was in prison when he wrote it. And he wrote the prison epistles, and one of them was the. I'm taking speech therapy, so be careful. i got to get that out. out. She told me how to work on it while I'm preaching. But he was in prison and wrote this letter to the church at Philippi. Not too much long after that, the Apostle Paul was arrested and put in in the bars and put in prison and that he had to face a death sentence. They said he's going to die. They're going to execute him. History says, the Bible doesn't say this, but history says that the Roman Empire was in charge. It said that Nero gave the order to execute the Apostle Paul. They're going to do it by beheading him. They would use the guillotine. And then the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, where Timothy was pastor. And Paul said, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished the course. Henceforth, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me, but not for me only, but for all those that love his appearing. And probably while he was going down the street, down toward the guillotine, And the decree was going to be given to sever his head. The Apostle Paul said, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished the course. Henceforth, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. And not for me only, but for all of those that love his appearing. And we're in this thing together. We're not trying to be isolated. We're trying to work together, striving together to get the job done. But anyhow, history says that they laid his head on the block. And then when Nero dropped his hand, the blade came down and severed the head off of the Apostle Paul. Paul. His head rode over like a basketball full of blood into the road. But when that moment happened, God tenderly reached down, picked up the Apostle Paul's soul, took it home to glory, and he's now abiding with the Lord forever and more, and thank God one day we'll see the aged old apostle Apostle Paul and what he did and what he was accomplished in his life by the help of God. But it wasn't an individual thing, it wasn't a lone ranger. It was working together with the churches that he was working with and going to various places in Asia and Asia Minor. And so the true of our subject today need to strive together to be able to accomplish what God wants accomplished. This just We accomplish more together than we do individually. We accomplish more together as a church than we do trying to do things individually. Some things can only be done by individuals, but just, just take me preaching for just a moment. It's more than just me up here getting, using the words that come from my mouth and trying to articulate some words today. It's working together. You're praying for me. How many times folks have said to me in recent days, preacher, I'm praying for you. And I mean that and honestly. I appreciate every prayer that's ever prayed uh, for me. So it's working together. Sometimes it's uh, when I go driving somewhere, I have somebody drive. If it's any a lot, I have Tommy drive on visitation when he's with me. Or Wayne Ross sometimes will take me somewhere to drive. I'm trying to decide which is the worst, <laughs> Tommy or Wayne. But I'll tell you what, it's really, it's really working together because it's really working on my prayer life. I am praying much more since I started riding these guys. And it takes away sort of your manhood when you, you know, you used to drive. Mr. Key, my father in law, when he was 93, he still wanted to drive. He had to take the keys away from him because he was dangerous. I'll tell you how dangerous he was. Uh, he'd sneak off, get the car keys, truck keys, and go down the road. He ran into a ditch over here in West Sea Street. And uh, he was standing there beside the road didn't get hurt. Some of Andrew's buddies come by and saw him and said, Mr. Key, can we help you? He said, Well, I'm in the ditch. So they pulled his truck out of the ditch and he waved at him, took off, kept on going. I mean, like he did it every day, you know. But workers together can accomplish more than being by yourself. Amen. The church is a body of believers that have been redeemed by the blood Amen. of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in the same family. I have the Heavenly Father who's God Almighty. I have the wonderful Savior. He's my elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are children of the Most High God. We're in the family of God. We're part of a family that's going to exist forever and forever and forever. And I'm not sure how it's going to be in heaven, uh, how we going to be, we're going to be known as we're known. I don't know what all that means altogether. We get to heaven, we'll be able to be seen and see people that we fellowship with down here, and as a family of God will exist forever and forever as God so ordained it. But he gave two churches in the book of, uh, in the New Testament, two books especially, one was Philippians and the other was 1 Corinthians, I think to illustrate, to illustrate what I'm trying to say, and I'll do my very best to get it out today. Two books out of the 27, 27 books in the New Testament, there's 66 in the entirety of the Bible, so that means there's 39 in the Old Testament. 27 books make up the canon what we call the Holy Scriptures from Matthew through the book of Revelation. And then they get to the end of the book of Revelation, it says, Amen. And the Scriptures have been completed and preserved for us in the English language for this generation. And I'm grateful for that, that I have a Bible in my hand. I'm glad I can read the Word of God. But when you read the books of the Bible, you find every one of them has a theme. And they're trying to correct something or share something or in help us to be like this or not to be like that. These 27, the first four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tells about the birth and the life of Jesus Christ, talks about His crucifixion, talks about three days later He arose from the dead. And by the way, Jesus did die on the cross, amen? amen. And shed His blood for us over 2,000 years ago. And they took Him to an, empty, to an empty tomb and they placed Him inside of that tomb. And then they rode a big stone in front of it uh, the, the guards did so they could keep Jesus in there. They thought somebody would try to steal his body and claimed he arose from the dead. Now on the resurrection day, we call Easter, on the resurrection day, Jesus didn't need anybody to move the stone out of the way. I mean, he could just speak and the stone would go rolling away. But when they looked, in, when they looked down and come down to the tomb that day, Jesus was not there. And the angel said, he's not here. The one you're looking for is not here. He's risen from the dead. Jesus could get out of the tomb. He didn't, the stone didn't hold him in there. And, but he did come forth gloriously as the resurrected Savior. So I have a Savior... That bled and died for me on the cross of Calvary and paid my sin debt, a debt I owed. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Then three days later, He arose from the dead. The Bible says, for my justification. What does that mean? It means that I'm not guilty in the eyes of God. When I accept Jesus Christ, my sins have been removed from me as far as the east is from the west. say, preacher, have you committed any sins in your life? I've committed my sins in my life. Have you? Every sin that ever comes to your mind, if you've been saved, has been removed from God's memory and placed in the sea of God's forgiveness. And i tell you what, that's a pretty good deal to have, to know that our sins are under the blood of Christ to be remembered against us no more. But he wrote the church to Corinth, and it was filled with problems. If you want to find a church that you wouldn't want to pastor, it would be the church of Corinth. Paul wrote two epistles to the church of Corinth because they had a lot of problems. As a matter of fact, they got into trouble immorally. There was people having some problems in the family, church family uh, that uh, were involved in incest and how sad that was. And so they had to be dealt with. And Apostle Paul dealt with those issues. Their selfishness. They were very selfish. Look at me. Look at what I can do. Look at the gifts that I have. And they sort of got braggadocious about what they had their ability to do. It's not a matter of what you can do by yourself. It's not a matter of you. It's a matter of the kingdom of God. For to me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And so they were very worldly. The word carnal, I guess, is a good word you'll find in 1 Corinthians. They were very carnal. That means they were very fleshly. So Paul addressed these divisions in the church. They had divisions. They had cliques around personality. Some says, I'm not a Paul. I'm a Paulus, Or I'm a Cephas. I'm somebody else. This is the one I want to follow. And the list goes on and on and on in divisions that they had in the book of 1 Corinthians. And Paul was addressing that problem. And they got so worldly that when they had communion, they'd just have a big feast, have a big party. In December, oh, about 25th, somewhere through there, we'll have communion service. We have it usually twice a year around Easter and around, around Christmas time, and we'll gather together as a church family and take communion, which is a not, not, a, it's not a party. It's not a big feast. As a matter of fact, just with a cup of grape juice, what that is, and a little piece of unleavened bread. I mean, you, you're not going to get full on that as far as physically, but it can fill you up spiritually because you're doing something Jesus said to do. He said, do this in remembrance of me until I come again to receive you unto myself and we enjoy it in God's kingdom. I want you to enjoy the fact that you can remember what I did for you on the cross of Calvary. And that little few ounces of grape juice is a symbol of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that little piece of the unleavened bread is a part of his broken body for you and me that we could have the redemption that we do have. And so thank God for it. But the Corinthian church got so worthy they were having big parties and big feasts and eat, eating. And Paul said, if you want to eat, eat at home. It's not a matter of coming to eat fried chicken, beans and potatoes. It's coming just take a little bit of communion to remember the Lord Jesus Christ. So the personalities were different. Division was there. Virus was hitting the whole church. And they were even corrupting the communion service and doing all things that they ought not to do. And Paul said these words in chapter 3, verse 9, 1 Corinthians. He said, I want to remind you of something. We are laborers together with God. Don't ever forget who you are. You are a redeemed child of God that goes into a family. The family father is our father. Jesus Christ is our savior. And whether you like it or not, Tommy, you and I are brothers in the Lord. Miss Terry, you're my sister, okay? Miss Cindy, you're my, you're my sister. Paul, I don't see him, so he's not anything to me anymore. <laughs> Frank, he's my brother. Now, we don't always agree with everything. We don't, don't, don't always see things out of I. I know that. I've been pastor too long to know. Everybody don't agree with what I say. Just because you're wrong, don't get upset about it. Okay. But all of us have a difference of opinion about certain things, how they should be done. Aren't you glad that we can work together as, as we fit in the body of Christ? We're supposed to work together. And by working together, we can accomplish a lot more than being a lone ranger out here trying to do it by ourselves. Nobody knows. Nobody helps. Nobody cares. You ought to care about the work of God. It ought to be on your agenda. It ought to be something you want to see done. You want to see the church go better and better and gooder and gooder and sweeter and sweeter and accomplish more for God's glory than it's ever has before. And we need help doing that. It's going to take a togetherness working together. The Bible says, All things work together for good to them that love the Lord and to them who are called according to His purpose. Romans 8:28. And I'm glad God can take the, all of us together and make something good come out of that togetherness, And that's what it ought to be. So you're my brother. You're my sister. We're in the same family. Okay? Amen. Let me just you where I sink right there for just a minute. You're my brother. You're my sister. We're in the same family. Amen. We're brothers in Christ. Now, how do you get in the family? You've got to be born again. Yeah. Well, how do you get born again? Jesus said you must be born again. You'd be born of the Spirit, not just of water, but the physical birth. But you've got to be born again, born of the Spirit of God. And God births you and me into the family of God. The Holy Ghost of God, able to impart into us divine life, He comes to live on the inside and births us spiritually into the family of God. It's called born again in John chapter 3. Nicodemus came. To see Jesus and God, the son said to Nicodemus, Marvel not that I say unto thee, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus said, how can I be, say, how can I, how can I be born again? How can I know the, the God of the kingdom? How can I enter into the kingdom? He says, Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. And he says, I don't understand how a man can go back into his mother's womb and be born again. I don't understand that. And here's an intellectual man. It's not something that he was a dummy. He was a very smart man, perhaps a member of the Sanhedrin court, or perhaps one of the great Pharisees of that day, or leaders of the church, or leaders of the group of the Pharisees. I am not sure all of his credentials, but he was a very influential man. So he wasn't a dummy. He said, I don't understand how a man can be born again. How can a man enter in the second time his mother's womb be born again the second time? And Jesus said, Marvel not. You ought know, not to be upset about it. You should not be disturbed about this. Unless a man is born of God the second time, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There is that new birth that transfers us from this earthly to the spiritual, and the Holy Ghost of God comes to live on the inside of our body. He walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me I am his own. And from the Word of God, together we can read the Word of God. God can speak to you. God can speak to me from the Word of God. And God's able to help us in our Christian life. But the church at Corinth was very worldly-minded. And Paul said, I want you to know we're laborers together with God. We don't need to be worldly-minded. We don't need to be carnally-minded. We need to be spiritually-minded. There's a big difference between the two of being spiritually-minded and being earthly or carnally-minded. But the church at Philippi, he said, here's the church. He says, I want you to know that I rejoice in you and you rejoice in me. He says, be filled with joy. Of the Lord, and when you read the book of Philippians, you'll find it over and over again the word joy of this great church contrasted with the church of Corinth. They were full of divisions, they were fussing, they were arguing, going through all kinds of problems and situations that they ought not to be. He writes to the church of the Philippines, to the Philippians, out of prison, and says, I want to know that your joy helps me to have joy. I want you to have joy of the Lord. And he said, Be joyful. Chapter 4, several times it's repeated. In the book of Philippians, chapter 4, he says, let me find the verse right quick. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in all, everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made unto God. And he talks about whatsoever things that you think about, that you do, that you ought to do, is pleasing the Lord. But he says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is my strength, so said Nehemiah. So he said, I want to tell you about a church. He didn't give much fault to the church at Philippi. There probably was some problems, but he didn't deal with those. He simply said they have great joy in the church. There was the very mode, the very, the very operation of the church was one of joy. They were a mature church compared to Corinthian church, which seemed to be immature. He said, i got to treat you like babies because you don't understand the truth. Here is the church at Philippi treats you with maturity because you know what the joy of the Lord is and there's not all the problems you have that you have in the church of Corinth. It don't take much sometimes to cause problems in the work of the Lord. We've been at this thing a long time. As a matter of fact, around the world, churches are being built for the cause of Christ. But there's always going to be divisions and problems that are going to try to creep in. The reason why we need to be on the same page and be together for the cause of Christ. We're not going separate ways. We're working together for the cause of Christ. We're working together for the cause of Christ. And so he says they would have the right mode. It would want them joyful, being joyful. It was a mature church because their joy even affected the very character of who they were. When you have the joy of the Lord in your, as your strength, it's going to affect how you live your Christian life. I'll talk about that in just a moment. And so we come back to our text in chapter 1 and verse 27. And the Bible says, I only let your conversation. Now look at it. Verse 27. Let your conversation. The word conversation means conduct. It means means your citizenship. Let your citizenship be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come to see you, whether I'm there or not there, whether I'm able to come or not able to come, that you stand fast alone, stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul wrote this great epistle uh, to the church at Philippi to to show them how wonderful they were and how great they were in doing the right things the right way, and not to get away from that. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. So I want you to strive together. I want you to work together. I want you to see things accomplished for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Accomplishing work that God gives requires a joint effort of the entire body. Henry Ford invented, I guess, the first Ford, I reckon, but anyhow, he's been around a long time in, in history as a, as a car maker. He said, here is the whole, whole crook of being successful. Coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress. Working together is success. And being able to work together for the cause of Christ. So what I'm getting at tonight, today, with the help of the Lord, I want to be there in just a minute. In just a few days, we're going to have Brother Benny Beckham become, who emphasizes on prayer. He just completed a new Bible, intercessory prayer Bible. He went through the entirety of the Word of God, all 66 books, and he found every prayer that was ever offered. Then down beneath that, he put a commentary of what it meant to him and what he thought it meant spiritually and and theologically. In the context, you can read the commentary, sort of like reading a little sermon underneath his comments on prayer. He just completed it. And uh, he's, uh, he'll bring some of those with him. if you're able to purchase one. It'd be great. If you can't, that's fine too. But you'll find his emphasis on prayer. The other day, I told somebody, he come by the office, and we were talking, and he's uh, lives in Winston-Salem when he's on this side of, of the Mississippi. Lives in California the rest of the time. But he's living here outside of Winston-Salem right now. and He'll be with us. He's uh, getting up in years. But his whole emphasis has been on prayer in his life. And uh, I told him i misplaced three books, three volumes of books. I can't find them nowhere. I thought Nancy took them. I always blame Nancy when you can't find nobody else to blame. What did you do with my three volumes of Spurgeon's Tabernacle Sermons? And she said, I haven't had your three, three, three books of Spurgeon. I don't know. have any idea. Now when she loses something, and I say, well, I wonder who stole it. You know. I guess she's looking at me <laughs> and I stole something she lost something she can't find. She said, I know, I had it just had it a while ago. Can't find it nowhere. Miss Judy said the same thing this morning just had it, can't find it, looking for a Bible. Well, Brother Benny was in my office, and I said, Brother Benny, I, I have lost three volumes of the Metropolitan Tabernacle Sermons. There are 66, 63 volumes. I only had three of them, I couldn't afford to buy all of them. I had three volumes I got years ago. I've had them for years. They sit on my library shelves of over 6,000 volumes of books. And somewhere on there, there's the volumes of, of Charles Spurgeon. I looked on the shelves, behind the shelves, in the shelves, in the drawers. I looked in Nancy's closet to be sure she wasn't lying to me. We even went to the refrigerator and looked to see if it was in there. But couldn't find those three, and I still hadn't found them. So Brother Benny said, let us pray. Well, I hadn't thought about that too much. He said, let's bow our heads, James. Let's have a word of prayer. He said, now, dear God, I've been just talking like he's Right there. That God was right there. And you know what? He was right there. Amen. We're two or three gather in my name, I am in the midst, the Bible says. Brother Benny says, the Lord, Brother James is misplaced some books somewhere along the way. And Father, you know exactly where they're at. Would you help him find those books? You don't know how, what a blessing it was to hear him say that. Now, he'll be here in just a few days to be with us for a few days. And I'm going to remind him, he had not found the books yet, And he'll probably say, let's pray. (laughs) And keep on praying until the answer comes. And I I thought thought I'd go home and there'd be jumping on my desk after he prayed. That's the kind of man he is. He gets in touch with God, and God has marvelously blessed his life. I want you to be around and rub shoulders with a man who prays. I need that in my own life. A man who knows God intimately, who talks to Him daily, and who has spent his lifetime on intercessory prayer, praying for others around the world. So we're looking forward to having him. So I need you to help me to strive together as pastor and church folk for all of us to gather together when he's here on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday and four days. that he'll preach for us and speak to us. And the first thing he'll say, most of you know what he's going to say when he gets to the pulpit. He'll look out at you just for a moment, and he'll say, Have you talked to your Heavenly Father today? That's what he'll ask you. Now, I've got to answer the question, yes or no. And I'm trying to help you ahead of time. So we'll all be ready when he says, Have you talked to the Heavenly Father today? I hope your answer is yes. yes. Not being braggadocious, but you ought to talk to the Father every day. Every day of your life, you ought to talk to God. Yes. You say, But how do you do that? By faith, you talk to God. I've never seen God. Well, how do you talk to somebody you not seen? There's a spiritual world. And this is a living book right here. It's the Holy Bible. This is the, book, the, only, good, the only book that God ever wrote, is this Bible right here. I have in my hand. I'm talking about. The divine 66 books in our Bible that make up one Bible. On the outside of this one, before I had it rebound, it said Holy Bible. It's got my name on the front part of it. But this Bible is God's Word and all the way through it. I don't know about you, but I mark in my Bible. You don't have to do it. I do. I scribble in my Bible. I write notes in my Bible. And I want to be able to read the Bible because that's how God speaks to me. I speak to Him through prayer. That's the breath of the human body Spiritually. And I breathe. You, when you quit breathing, you die. When you quit praying, you're not going to live spiritually very long. You're going to gasp for breath. You've got to pray. You've got to preach. Say, preacher, what's prayer? Prayer is to give the desire of your heart to God. And you can talk to God about anything, including three volumes of Charles Spurgeon sermons. You can talk to God about anything. Sometimes I make it the last resort and I say, come down to prayer now. I should have prayed to start with. The very thing in my mind and walk with God is to be able to pray early in the prayer request. You ever notice when we get sick? We get sick and they rush us to the hospital and they said, you're going to have to have surgery and you may be in the hospital. And then you start praying. You "You better pray. And folks are like, that's the last thing you're supposed to do. It should be the time they put you in the back of the rescue squad taking you to the hospital. Lord, it's me again. That ought to be the first conscious thought that comes to your mind. It's me again, Lord. I need you. Lord, I'm not doing well. It's not selfish to pray for yourself physically, and it's not it's not selfish to pray for others in your family. It ought not to be about physical. But sometimes God has to let our physical problems come to get our attention, and sometimes He wakes us up to the reality that we've been trying to live in the flesh. The first thing that ought to be in the morning ought to be something said to God. Do you agree? Amen. Yeah. When you say, "Preacher, how do you do that?" We'll just get up and talk to God. Well, how do I talk to Him? How do you talk to anybody? If I was talking to you, I'd say, "Lynn, good to see you today. God bless you. Feeling pretty good. Now, I don't have to ask God if he's feeling good. I can ask Lynn if he's feeling good, but I don't have to ask God if he's feeling good because God feels good all the time. As a matter of fact, I don't know how he feels. I don't know how he feels. He don't have to feel because he don't live in the age of feeling. He don't have to be feeling a certain way. He's just God. And I believe in all my heart he's a real person. He's a, a real God. He's alive forevermore. And I can talk to him through prayer. Pray after this manner, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us our sins and those who trespass against us and so forth. And you pray that prayer regularly, the Lord's prayer. We call it it's a model prayer. He says, Pray after this manner. The Lord's prayer is found in John seventeen, when you pray after this manner, and Jesus taught how to pray the great intercessory prayer in John seventeen. But he said, Do you want to pray? Pray after this manner, our Father. Did I tell you we was in the same family? We've got the same Heavenly Father, striving together for the cause of Christ. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. This is a pattern you can follow. You don't have to follow that pattern altogether word for word. But you can say, my Father. Or you can even just say, Father. Or you might want to say, dear God. However you talk to God, you learn how to talk to God in conversation manner. Just talk to Him. Prayer is conversing with God. And, And many folks pray when trouble comes and problems come the best time to pray is when you're on the mountaintop Amen. when everything's going good it's, God, God thank you for the mountain thank you for your blessings on my life thank you for the food for, thank you for the house thank you for the roof on my head thank you for the clothes on my back Father I want to thank you for all you've done for me you've been so good to me and I don't deserve that and you're praying on the mountaintop and you've got a little money in the bank and you've got food on the table and you can do a little extra things in life God's been mindful to you in maybe a little special way you say Father thank you then all that disappears Then you get in the valley, you lose your job. What do you do when you lose your job? Father, I sure do need you. Lord, you were there with me on the mountaintop. Would you be with me in the valley? You say, does he care whether I work or not? He sure does. He said a man needs to provide for his own household. He needs to learn how to work and labor and toil the very best he can and make an income to feed his family. God's all for that. Give me this day my daily bread. Give me this day my daily bread. Oh, Lord, I need bread today. I need help today and pray to the Heavenly Father every day of your life, asking Him for daily provisions. So when things are not going well and the money's not there like it used to be, you still thank God. I use the illustration often uh, about my daddy being a preacher. But there was a story he told. I'm not sure how old I was. or how, I think I was already in the family. There was five of us kids. But I think I was already born. I can't remember the details at that, that particular age time. But I heard my dad talk about it. Mom and dad got down to the last jar of blackberries in the cupboard. That was it. There was nothing to eat. A jar of blackberries, and that's to be it. He was being faithful to the Lord, serving the Lord, and things went well for quite a while. Then he got down to where there's nothing much to eat. You no know, income coming for some time down the road. Sometimes money didn't come as easy as it does today. It, was, it had to be dug out. Sometimes preachers worked vocational jobs, another job to try to help pay their expenses and their bills and so forth. But daddy would pray. He was a praying man. And he said, Lord, we were down to the last jar of blackberries. We don't have any money, couldn't get no food. Lord, you told me to take care of my family, and I'm trying to. The best know how. Lord, would you supply our needs? And this is true. There was a knock at the door. My dad went to the door, and somebody outside says, is this where Mr. Pauly lives? And they said, yes, sir. Said, we got something for you. And they to a pickup truck to our front porch. And they began bringing in groceries after groceries after groceries. And my dad said, whoa, whoa, I didn't order those. I, 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 I can't afford to buy any groceries. He said, your name Eldon Pollock? He said, yes, sir. He said, well, who, who are they from? He said, I don't know. I'm just a delivery boy. I'll tell you who they come from. Come on. Amen. There is a God in heaven. That's right. It may not always come miraculously like that. But God promised to meet our needs and supply our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And God knows my name. He knows my middle name. He knows every hair on my head. Every hair that's been on my head. He knows my address. He knows my phone number. He knows my social security number. And I'm not going to give it to you. He knows all about the numbers that I have. <laughs> he knows them. He knows me. He knows me. Yeah. I like it when Nicodemus, not Nicodemus, but Zacchaeus. What's he got to climb a stick tree? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Thank you so much, class. Zacchaeus. Or Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Jesus came by one day and Zacchaeus heard about him. So Zacchaeus was a short man, a little short of stature, and he couldn't see for the the press. The crowd was too big. So Nicodemus, he was a tax collector. What a wonderful job to have. A tax man, how it is. He ran down the street, around the road, climbed up in a sycamore tree, for Jesus was to pass by that way that day. He's come to Jericho Road. And uh, Zacchaeus said, I want to see him. He climbed up on that sycamore tree for the Jesus to see. And when Jesus got to the bottom, to the, to the place where that sycamore tree was up, and he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down. Here's what Zacchaeus said to me when I read it. And Zacchaeus said, he knows me. He knows me. Zacchaeus, come down. Get out of that tree. Come down. I want a fellowship. I want, a, I want to go to your house today. Zach just scrambled down the not only does he know me, he wants me. Not only does he want me, he loves me. I'm just an old tax collector, and those tax collectors back in those days, they'd collect all the taxes they could, and what else they could get above that, they got for themselves. They could tell you, well you owe you owe $50 to the government, and you pay fit now you owe ten more for the other fees. And they, all they could collect they get in their own pocket. It's the reason why they were hated. I'm glad God can save the IRS agent. I hope God saves more of them this year. God can save the tax collector. God can save the adulterer. God can save the idolater. God can save the filthy. God can save, save the, the, the wicked, the, the man who's thievery. He can anybody, save anybody who's willing. don't have to be bad and all those sins. He can save the self-righteous person uh, who's trying to get to heaven being good. You don't get to heaven being good. You get to heaven by the grace of God as a gift of God and the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord as I talked about Wednesday night. And here's what... Uh, want to close with. And I, I did not get to my sermon so please forgive me for that if, if I just mind the Lord and trust I said what need to be said. I said Wednesday night, salvation is a gift. I thought about it more and more this week. How do you want to be saved? Yes. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Gift. I give you a gift. You either receive it or you reject it. If I put this this eternal life is in your hand, you now make a decision. I now trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. I receive the gift of salvation. But i got to do something to be saved. No, that's not what the Bible says. When you give somebody a gift, there's no strings attached. If there is, it's not a gift. I tell you what, I'm going to give you this gift, but it's going to cost you $100. That's not a gift. That's something you earn. Or you've got to go to church regularly or you won't go to heaven. That's working for salvation. Salvation is a gift of God. Wonderful gift of God. For the wages of sin is death. The Bible says the soul that sinneth it shall die. Everybody outside of Christ has either got eternal life or eternal death. One or the other, you got to get eternal life. You can live forever. If you have eternal death, you'll die forever. But you can receive the gift of salvation. The gift of salvation is receiving a person for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So how am I saved? By receiving the gift. But I've got to be good to go to heaven. My Muslim friend that I've talked to several times, you've heard me tell the testimony. I've got to call him this week and talk to him again. Uh, He's our copier guy. He did. His son does it now. But Fred Habao is his name. Fred and I have eaten many a meal together and talked about religion, talked about Muslim religion versus Christianity. And I said, Fred, how do you get saved? He said, i got to be real good. I said, how good you got to be? He said, you've got to obey the Koran. I said, do you obey all the Koran? He says, no, I'm not a very good Muslim. He said, I said, you don't obey all the Koran? Well, how do you expect to get to heaven? He said, I'm working on it. And I said, you know the difference between your religion and my religion? Mine's done, and you're working on yours. What do you mean it's done? Jesus said it's finished on the cross of Calvary, did he not? it's finished what's finished the sacrifice for all sin for all time was satisfied on the cross of calvary and jesus died in my place he died for me and i'm grateful for that and he says are you perfect and i said no i'm not perfect oh he says well how do you get to heaven if you don't do some good stuff well i said how much good i got to do he says you got to do a lot of good how much is that he says, you got to be real good to go to heaven and in Muslim religion, not going to be good enough to be able to receive that at the end. And their concept of heaven is a beautiful oasis, and what oh, so many virgins they have, the men have. And when they reach it, reach it when they reach heaven, anyhow, we talked about that for a while, and I said, "All right, let me. This is just illustrate this way, and I'll be through with the sermon." Let's say you you lived ninety-nine percent good, and you lacked one percent. You come down to the end of your life, and you're God says, "Well, you were good, but you were not good enough. You lacked it by one percent. Are you telling me that you can live ninety-nine percent good and fail in one percent and not make it to your heaven?" He said, "Well," he says, "but you got to be good, preacher. You got to be good." I said, well, "How good you got to be?" He says, "Well, I don't know how good I got to be. We got to be good. We got to be good. We got to be good." I cannot be saved without being good and doing religious things. I've got to pray so many times today. I've got to read the Koran. I've got to obey the Koran. I've got to do what it tells me to do, and over and over again. And here he is, struggling in life. And I said, oh, you're, 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 you're looking at the wrong place. I don't have to try to work my way to heaven, because what's most concept of Christianity or being saved people have? They have a pair of scales right here. Good deeds on this side and bad deeds on this Here's what they tell you. If I have enough deeds to satisfy God, I'll be on the right side of the scale and I'll go to heaven. But if I have bad deeds, I'll be on the left side of the scale and I'll go to hell. How would you like to live like that? That's the only hope you got? The hope I've got is not found in scales. It's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I trusted Him as my Savior as a young lad many years ago and asked Him to save me, I didn't know anything except John 3.16. I grew up in a Christian home. I could probably quote some other verses if I thought about it for a while. But all I knew when I got saved was John 3.16. What's that say, preacher? Greatest verse in the Bible, is it not? For God so loved the world. And take the word world, put yourself in there, mankind. For God so loved mankind. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. There's nothing in there about earning your salvation. He paid the price. He gave, he gave, he gave. He says, for the wages of his death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ. Will you pray for my friend that God will open his eyes and he'll see. And may others be an influence on others around the world that they'll see Christ as the only hope. Striving together to reach a world for Christ. Striving together for our mission's emphasis. The whole month of November, my nephew Scott's going to come and preach the last Sunday. Three sermons. I've asked him to preach or at least allude to the promises of God in the Bible. Brother Benny's going to talk about prayer. Brother Mark Lancaster is going to talk about power, the power of the Holy Ghost. You should receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You should be witnessing me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. But I won't put the emphasis all month long. I know it's busy. I know it's rush time. But somewhere along the way we've got to change priorities. Some more priorities are to change to some degree. Let's get behind the work of God the very best we can. It may mean the difference between heaven and hell. It may mean the difference between your loved is going to heaven or not going to heaven. We want all people to go to heaven by the grace of God. And I am through. Every time I watch the news and I see Israel surrounding the Gaza Strip, and I see over here all the places that are being hit on the American embassies around the world, and all the threats of other terrorists coming together against Israel and against the USA. Two things the Muslims want that are true terrorists. They want to conquer the world. They want to destroy the Jew. And they want to destroy Christianity. They want to destroy the USA. Their prayer for destruction of of Israel, they always add, and the USA. Down with the USA. They're our enemy. But God wants to save them. God can still save them. God can save in Hamas hidden in some tunnel somewhere, if the gospel got to him. He said, but what about all the butchering he did? What about the sins you committed? And I'm not condoning what he did. I think it's terrible. But a thief on the cross got saved. Amen. He's pretty wicked. He said, I deserve to die in my sins, but would you remember me when you come into your paradise? And Jesus said, this day shall you be remembered. I'm grateful that God can save the whosoever wills, but salvation a gift. Striving together for the work and the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together, please. If you need to pray as a Christian, you come. If you're away from the Lord, not living as you should, or maybe you want to be saved, by all means, come. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ today, Father. Would you take the brokenness of this voice and direct it to wherever you want it to go? Lord Jesus, may you bless the invitation. May we strive together to work together for the cause of Christ. May we love you better. May we see you more clearly. May your will be accomplished in our lives. Forgive us of our own failures and sins and shortcomings. Give us victory and revival, we pray.